What's up, everybody? This is Jacob Warren asking you to like, subscribe, and share. Dave needs this. The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now, today, Hooker. Ready. Let's go. It is a football Friday with Fred. Fred White will join us later in the program. Why a star might be born this weekend and moving forward. The reviews I get on Keenan Pilly's replacement are absolutely fantastic. And when I say replacement, the guy taking up snaps, not necessarily at middle linebackers. So we'll get into that. Florida has once again wet the bed in terms of NIL, and it looks really bad for the future of Florida's football program. Of course, Tennessee plays Florida next week, but I'm talking about long-term and short-term future. That's not good at all. Nick Saban actually apologizes. And then we'll talk a little bit of Lady Vols basketball towards the uh, end of the program. And uh, do do they really want to compete because other SE schools are cashing in some cash? Also, Tennessee has a visitor in this weekend. It's just Austin P. So why bring the big dogs in now? Caleb, how are you, sir? Well, I'm certainly having a better morning than Chiefs receiver Kadarius Tony. I can tell you that right now. I entered last night saying Patrick Mahomes can throw to anybody. It doesn't matter his who his receivers are. And Chiefs receivers are like, oh no, we can be bad enough to make him look bad. Don't worry. <laughs> no, and um, <laughs> listen, I mean, let's not. Uh, I mean, I, I thought Travis Kelsey, we all knew it was incredibly important. And uh, I, I think a couple of plays here and now would have uh, been the difference in that game last night. But a lot to talk about. Tennessee's home opener, Neyland Stadium, Austin P. The Vols should have plenty of fireworks, plenty of things going. We do have news of it looks like one official visitor at this point, And I know Caleb Giroux wrote about that, and we're going to have that story up on offthehooksports.com here momentarily. If you can go ahead and share with me uh, who's going to be on campus. So let me give you, uh, a, nowadays in recruiting, I covered recruiting for goodness 20 years. So it's not as important to get guys on campus for a game because a lot of times they make their decision in the summer. Uh, now, but the ones that you really, really want to go after, and I'm not saying this is, is the case with this particular young man, but the ones you really want to go after, you want them in for the big games. You want to wow them. So Tennessee will have more visitors than just this young man. But a lot of the guys they'll be competing with will be at that Texas-Alabama game. I mean, a lot of these guys want to go to the big games, and who can blame them? So who's the one visitor that Tennessee will have on campus Caleb? Uh, his name is Chris Cole, I believe. He is a linebacker, and I think isn't Tennessee one of his finalists two days out from his commitment? I believe that's the case. Uh, yeah. And I think it's like down to Tennessee and Georgia. He comes out of Virginia, which, again, that's a decent pipeline for Tennessee, but like if you're an elite linebacker, you're still probably choosing Georgia. 
Yep. We'll see. I mean, we'll see how this thing uh, shakes out, uh, but you can read more about him here momentarily on uh, offthehooksports.com. So a lot to get to on the program, including, I thought, a very interesting take uh, by Josh Heupel, who didn't have to say what he said, and most coaches wouldn't, but he did. Let's go ahead and get to that right now. And it has to do with uh, who? It is that guy named Nico. Oh, Nico. It certainly is. And we get to today's tough question. And it's brought to you by our friends at uh, Andy Mason Elite Real Estate. Go to Andy Mason realestate.com today's tough question is now today's tough question take a side take a stand the dave hooker show a presentation of off the hook sports.com so josh heupel reveals that the balls don't plan to red shirt uh nico and not not a surprise at all because you would like to get him in there for some garbage time if nothing else to other teams and you would like to make sure that he's ready if something does happen to uh, Joe Milton. So um, does this declaration really matter? Is it smart? Let's go with today's tough question is, uh, is does, does it matter? Does it matter for recruiting? Tell me why this is pertinent. I have an idea, Caleb, but let's start with you and we'll be sure and include you on the message board. You can also, if you're watching on Twitter, you can post responses on our Twitter feed and we'll get to those as well. Soon to have a text line, which we're looking forward to. But uh, does it matter, uh, Caleb, that he said, Josh Heupel did, that Nico is not going to redshirt? No. Well, yes, actually it does. Because I think what matters is, but I don't think it matters in a bad way. I think what matters is it says what Josh Heupel expects out of Nico, which is what I expect out of Nico. I don't think Josh Heupel expects to have Nico for more than two years as a starter anyway. I mean, I think Heupel's pretty convinced that Nico's going to be so good that he's gone after 2025 to the NFL. And so it doesn't really matter if you redshirt him that or not at that point because you really don't need him for another year. And, or, and so I think this is more about, in Josh Heupel's mind, Look, we know he's going to be gone after 2025 anyway. It's much smarter for us to play him as much as we can this year when we can so he can develop where he needs to so he's ready to go to be as good as possible in 2024. No, agreed. I don't think that he's going to be around Tennessee uh, for a full four years, much less five years, uh, assuming he stays healthy. Uh, here's the other reason that I, I think it matters is – because you're you're telling recruits that uh, you know if you if you show up and you're ready to play, I'm not going to try to milk another year out of you by redshirting you. And let's face it, there are a couple of guys on this team that they're they're not redshirt worthy, and we're going to talk about Arian Carter. That's one of them that are true freshmen that are just not going to be dudes that are going to redshirt. Ethan Davis would be another. So I think he's sending a clear indication to anybody that's listening that if you show up and you're ready to play, you're going to play as a freshman. That has been knocked down on the importance scale but with NIL. It's not as important playing early, and you'd still rather be ready for the NFL, I believe, than play early as a consensus among prospects. But it is still important. You don't want to show up and just sit there for a year. I mean, Fred White had to do that because of an injury, 
And you know, he said it was one of the darkest times and toughest times in his life. So I can't tell you how many players we talked about Joey Matthews from Sevier County, how many players that had a bad first year and their entire football career went astray. So I think what Josh Heupel is saying, yes, loyal to upperclassmen, those guys are the foundation. But if you show up and you're ready to play, you're going to play. So it's a statement that I don't think gets a lot of headlines, but in recruiting circles, I think it probably means something and it's pretty significant. Yeah, it permeates throughout. And it also, I think... Great word, great word. word. (laughs) I also think it helps the players that aren't retroing, the Nikos and the Arian Carters, because the more you can get them in the games, the more they feel the confidence from the coaches. I mean, I thought last year, I think one of the best things for Joe Milton's confidence to have him ready to go this year was Josh Heupel was ready to put him in as a backup for a lot of mop-up duty last year to make plays. And I, 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 you know, and... Joe Milton's arm did look a lot better than it did the year before. And I think that had a lot to do with Joe Milton finishing the season strong starting this year. I don't know if Nico's going to be going to need that same type of support that Joe Milton needed. So it is kind of an apples and oranges comparison, but I do think it helps. And with Arian Carter, it's now necessary as we're going to talk about later on the show. He doesn't have, he doesn't have a choice. He's got to play Arian Carter. And so I think that it's, it it is, it's a lot of, it's to send a message to recruits. It reminds me of, Remember when Lane Kiffin was at Tennessee for the one year, he sometimes made some questionable decisions with personnel. I think a lot of times he would put Bryce Brown in on goal line plays when he should have kept Montario Hardesty in. But I felt like that was to send a message to recruits like, hey, I'm getting this guy in there now. And if you come, you're going to play. And before he was out robbing gas stations, Nukies Richardson was in on some wildcat packages. I remember that. Yeah, and and he was a punt returner too. The only guy I've seen straddle two punts. And um, I, it's the only time I've seen a guy straddle a punt once, much less twice, where he allowed the ball to go between his legs in the same season. That was an amazing feat. If you ever see that again, I will write you a $10,000 check, Caleb. Because Definitely the was, most questionable decision he made the entire time he was on campus at Tennessee. That's not true. Uh, Lance, <laughs> let's get back to quarterbacks. Lance said, I, I don't really expect any quarterbacks brought in by Heupel to red shirt. Second string quarterback, of course. That is the day and age that you're at. And listen, 20 years ago, you'd look at Tennessee's quarterback room and you'd say, man, that's trouble because they don't have any proven depth. Because what did coaches like to do? They like to stack them. I remember coaches telling me, well, you want to take a quarterback in every single every single year. You, you want to take one for depth. Well, these kids can transfer now. And let, let's say worst case scenario. Joe Milton graduates after this year and Nico doesn't get along with somebody and transfers. Well, then Josh Heupel is going to go out and get another quarterback in the transfer portal like Notre Dame did with Sam Pittman. So the way you view quarterbacks as far as stacking them is just not realistic. Now, what does that do for coaches? Well, it does this. You come into this season, another worst case scenario. If let's say, Milton wasn't ready and Nico was too young. The season basically goes down the drains that, that, I mean, that's where you are, but that's where all the other programs are. And I said, yeah. Sam Pittman, a quarterback who I'm sorry, Sam, you meant Sam, to say Sam Hartman, Yeah, Sam Hartman. Sorry. Um, but do you see what I'm Man, saying? I mean, Sam Pittman as a quarterback. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. You're sorry, Lance. Imagine pushing all of that in you know, all your chips in every season. Well, that's exactly 
what every team has to do. There's not a solid B.J. Coleman. No offense to Gastamore, but there's not a solid backup in a B.J. Coleman or Rick Clawson waiting in the wings for the elite programs. Those guys are transferred and gone somewhere else to play. You're right, and Hypo can find any quarterback. I mean, if he if, if Nico's gone, Hypo will find a quarterback in the transfer portal immediately. Josh Hypo will attract quarterbacks the way Mick Jagger attracts groupies. I mean, it's like it's just gonna... <laughs> hey, yeah, that's a young Mick Jagger. Uh, yes, yes. I, I don't know. Going. He's probably still doing okay if you think about it. <laughs> exactly the way Drake aggr- I'll uh, attracts you and you and you. <laughs> like the way they get in line to meet Mick Jagger. Uh, in his bedroom is the way quarterbacks will be to uh, meet Josh Heupel, just not in the bedroom. But you know, yeah, it's I, it's gonna be <laughs> the analogy that went very astray. But no, I, I see exactly what you're you're saying. So if if Tennessee needed a quarterback in this offseason to transfer in, they're going to absolutely have their pick of the litter, right? Yes, they will get who they want when they want, from wherever they want. Hey, think about this. Things don't go well at Texas, and Arch Manning isn't starting, and he ever decides to transfer, and don't think for a second that the Manning family wouldn't do that, because people forget how big of a deal the Eli Manning thing was. They were like, you're not John Elway. You can't dictate where you go. And John Elway was a big deal, too. But the Manning family, they were determined that Eli was not going to play for the Chargers. So if anything goes south, if Steve Sarkeesian starts to take a sip or two, ouch. But if he does, then Arch Manning would, would look to go elsewhere and who could blame him and don't think that Tennessee wouldn't be in, in, in the conversation. They, they I mean, would getting more. Yeah, that's getting more open by the day. I mean, you saw Caleb Williams' dad basically say, if a really crappy team has the number one draft pick, Caleb Williams isn't coming out. And I firmly him. believe Peyton Manning didn't come out in 96 because the Jets had the number one pick and he didn't want to get drafted by New York. That's a little too conspiracy theory for me. I've heard you say that. I'm not willing to go down that line, but I am willing to change it up to what the H? What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. What the H, Florida is botching up the NIL once again. It's brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. Andy Mason is absolutely fantastic. Best service and prices in the biz right there in Knoxville. He's my realtor. He should be yours. So give me the latest because I I, I read it. It's kind of complicated. I I have a firm grasp of it, but I'm going to let you explain it, Caleb, because we are only a few months removed from Jaden Rashada showing up on campus. That would have been in January, and their, the NIL money was not there for him. And, I mean, that's a big deal. And he ended up getting out of it. But I guess technically they could have held him to his uh, signed letter of intent. Or if you spend the night, you're considered enrolled. I learned that from the Lane Kiffin days. Uh, but he was able to get out of it. But I tell you um, – this is another mess. Describe the latest NIL mess for Florida. What is going on down there? This one's way worse. This was a predatory loan, basically, to NIL. To, uh, so Chicago Bears rookie Gervon Dexter signed 
with a speculative investment capital company. He It was an NIL endorsement uh, from Big League Advance Fund, is what I think was the collective. And he got a one-time payment of $436,000.485, which seems like if you're a high-profile offensive lineman, that seems right. right. That's about what you make with NIL money. I guess. Yeah, I think a lot of these numbers are inflated. But yeah, sure. Well, they... Yeah, well, they tricked him. In the signing, he unknowingly agreed to give, to pay this collective 15% of his pre-tax NFL earnings for the next 25 years. Basically his career. His I don't career. want to sound I don't want to sound like uh Billy Know-it-all, but I thought from the get-go that these collectives would turn into agents. Um, now, I don't know if the Spire Group is doing that at Tennessee, but why wouldn't you? You already have a business relationship. Um, but why wouldn't you turn into agents at the next level? Let's face it, a lot of the money is slotted and you can probably um, you can probably get away with not being a great agent and get your guy the same amount of money and he trusts you. But this be is open about being an agent. Yeah, right. This is a case where they did so without even apparently having the discussion or clearing it with the kid, right? Yeah, it's probably one of those. Again, he was a 17-year-old kid, got a bunch of papers, and they were just like, sign this. And you're 17, you don't know any better, so you sign it because you're told you'll get 440000 and he didn't know what he was signing. Now, you can say that he should have known what he was signing, but he was 17. And here's the thing. Whether or not you think he should have known what he was signing, I guarantee you this. The competent NIL initiatives like Spire Sports, Dave, you and I know this. Tennessee's not letting any collective do that to one of their players at all. Spire Sports, will, Danny White will not let Spire Sports do that to any one of the players at Tennessee in any sport. Well, won't let's a strong word. You could have somebody weasel their way in, but I think they would then be forever banned from be, having anything to do with the program, right? And I don't think right. it's sports, but there are some smaller collectives out there. And um, could they try to pull something like this off? I mean, they they could once perhaps, but I don't think that you're going to be able to do this multiple times under Danny White's watch. So a couple of people on the message board, let's start with Lance. Uh, let UF continue to botch it up. Uh, Travis says, I hope Florida never recovers. That sounds strong to say that, but let's remember Florida was absolutely nobody before Steve Spurrier showed up. They could not win football games. They were not a good football program when they they did. They got caught cheating all the time. Yes. So Florida, at the very least, is going through what their decade of dysfunction. Uh, shout out to Mark Nagy, but they might be going through a lot more. Could they fall completely off the map? I doubt that, but I, I don't see them because this could create a whole nother issue that they're going to have to overcome. Again, it goes with leadership at the top with Don Day Plowman, and then you've got the leadership with Danny White and his relationship with Spire Sports, which I think is very good. But at what point does that leadership at Florida prevent you from not turning a program around in one, two, three, or four years, but it taking more like five or ten to get the right people in place? Because they're going to have to replace an athletic director, I believe, too. Okay? I, I, don't, I don't think 
the the person there whose name escapes me is is going to be there for a long long term based off what I hear, and you're talking about a major overhaul. And I do you get and you know the first thing they'll do they'll call Steve Spurrier to get involved. That could be good or bad depending on how it works. I just I think Florida is right now in the middle of what Tennessee went through in the 2010s. And so let's break. Maybe think about worse. this in, and think about this in recruiting for a minute, Dave. You now, if you are a prospect, you don't think other coaches and schools are saying, "Hey, if you're if they're considering Florida, one, the NIL money they promise you may not be there. They've already broken a promise to one player, and two, they got NIL collectives that are tricking you right now down there and signing over your life to them. You don't think that's being used in recruiting right now by the Tennessees and the Florida States and the Georgias and every other school in the area that's trying to recruit those kids." I mean, that's a big deal. And I want to point out the same time this happened yesterday, a Florida defensive back into the transfer portal, Jadarius Perkins, and he tweeted out, I want to appreciate Dan Mullen and Scott Strickland for giving me the opportunity, yada, yada, yada. No mention of Billy Napier. No thanks to Billy Napier whatsoever. I I will tell you guys this. I covered Butch Jones in 2016. Yes, transfers happen, particularly in the era of the portal. Dave, it's not common that they happen after the season started. It's 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 it, it. There are red flags that are raised of someone who's played transfers after the season started. Oh, there's that's a monstrous red flag. I, I no, I, I I totally agree. Um, point by Lance. I want to bring that up on the screen. Too much talent in the state for them to completely fall off. But hey, one can hope. Hope or not, what if Florida State and or Miami? get into the sec okay and do they still have a recruiting advantage that they do with being in the the sec they are the state school and i get that but then suddenly your one argument to go to florida because they're the state school and you can play for the sec well two of their arguments are out and i don't know that a kid thinks of the university of florida as a state school more than florida state do they no, and kids also that live in Florida, I can tell you this right now. It's not it's not what you told me about Louisiana. It's not like they it's not that they're looking to get out of Florida, but they're not desperately wanting to stay in Florida because it's not like their grandparents, their moms, or aunts and uncles, an entire family is in Florida. Usually Florida kids, just the Florida population in general, they usually have family scattered across the country. Not like Louisiana kids, where their entire like everything they ever know is the state of Louisiana. So they're not going to feel the same loyalty to the state and staying in the state to play. You're absolutely right. 110%. That's why he brings it. He's Caleb Calhoun. Fred White up next to Football Friday with Fred. And that will be brought to you by Herald Group Security Solutions. Leadership experience specialization addressing problems through unique mission-specific mitigation techniques. Also making your children safer one school at a time. Go to your school administrator and say, Hey, have you heard about Herald Group Security Solutions? They're available for private schools, but working towards legislation to work with public schools as well, just simply to make schools safer. And we all know what's going on out there. Stay tuned. Fred White up next. BFL. We love him. And he's going to bring it because he thinks a star is born this weekend. Stay tuned. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. 
Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. You're listening to The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off The Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Is there nothing you people can't do? Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. I'm just going to go ahead and bring him in because of his backdrop. <laughs> okay. Fred, we're having trouble seeing you with the backlighting, but that's okay because we know what you look like, and you're one of the best-looking safeties that I've ever been good friends with. <laughs> Dave, am I the only good-looking safety that you've been friends with? <laughs> the only, well, the only safety, period. <laughs> that's right, the only safety I've been good friends well, with. I think, I think Fred should convert to receiver, and you should try out for the Kansas City Chiefs, Fred, because I think they need a receiver, and I think you could play better than any of them played yesterday. They dropped a lot. Of passes last night. I come. I'm thinking, like, man, this is. You, they dropped a lot of passes to get first downs. I mean, it, it didn't make sense. They need some receivers bad. Fred, where are you? Are you are you hunting? Are you? Did Spencer Riley drag you out into the field to take down some deer, or what the heck's going on? Man, it's a football Friday, and I'm in Knoxville. Man, one of the best places to be on a football Friday. Um, and Saturday is game day, football time in Tennessee. So I came and I have this nice foliage behind me um, here in Knoxville. You, you, you look great. I appreciate it. And Fred's appearance is always brought to you in part by our friends at uh, Tennessee Cider Company. And, man, I'll tell you what, if you use that promo code hat, I think that's the hat you have on. But because you're yeah. backlighting, I'm not, not completely sure. But it is an awesome hat when you can actually see it. Go to tncidercompany.com. <laughs> Use the promo code HAT, and you can order this cider from absolutely anywhere, and it is fantastic. Also, you can go to offthehooksports.com, and you'll see right up top, Celebrate 98. 
the books are in. It would not happen without Fred White. Celebrate 98, the untold stories behind the Tennessee Balls 1998 National Championship. Yesterday was a pretty special emotional day for me. And uh, Fred, I thank you uh, very much. It wouldn't have happened without you allowing me access to players who it just tells you how beloved Fred is. And I'm not saying this just because he's on, on the show right now. As beloved as any member of Tennessee football over the past quarter century among his teammates. When, when his teammates have questions about potential business deals or even guys afterwards, they call, they call Fred because he's, he's smart and he knows that, they, they, uh, that he loves them deep down. So, Fred, I can't thank you enough. The book's out. You've got a free copy coming your way. And um, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Man, no problem, Dave. I, I, I appreciate you asking me the questions and you know, I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to be on the radio again. Yeah, and our Celebrate 98 series is up. The David Leverton one. I mean, we've got a punter taken off, which is huge. And we'll have T. Martin soon and a text from Philip Fulmer that he'll be joining us on the program. So we've got a lot going on. But let's let's go ahead and talk some Austin P. Somebody's saying Fred is in the witness protection <laughs> program. You do like, I couldn't need a muff on your voice. Or something. <laughs> It's part of an, uh, uh, what was it, Dateline investigation when they'd get people. And I was thinking not- that. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the same. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So I'm going to I'm gonna give it away a little bit. Somebody texted me and said a star is born, and that guy might be poorly lit on the program right now. Let's get to four downs and talk why, <laughs> talk why Arian Carter is going to be really Really good. Maybe really, really soon. Here we go. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. Four downs. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. Four Downs brought to you in part by the Hemp House, the premier hemp dispensary online with a wide variety, great selection, and strict standards to ensure you only receive the best in CBD or Delta products. I got the big orange crunch coming out. Uh, go to hemphousechat.com, hemphousechat.com. So I'll have more on that. Uh, Cooper Mays will lead us into Four Downs. Coop, what should people do first? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. Please do that and set your notifications on because we got things dropping all the time, including that Sunday show with uh, Fred that's brought to you by Herald Group Security Solutions. What down, Coop? Coop here. First down. All right, Fred. Just what did you see, not only in the opener against Virginia, but in the offseason that made you text me yesterday, a star is born. And, and we all want to say, we don't, nobody wants Keenan Pilly to get hurt. And I hate that because he's, he's going to be out of eligibility this year. But you've said all along that Arian Carter is, is at a different level. Why? I mean, he just has all the intangibles. He's around the football all the time. If you watch the game on Saturday, this past Saturday, when he did get in the game, he was around the football a lot. I've watched in practice and I've heard – from other guys that how good he can be and how good he is at the moment. Um, I hate to see guys get opportunities because someone else got injured, but I see him being a star. I see him being a guy that can make plays in a passing game and a run game. He plays downhill. So 
I'm looking forward to seeing this kid play. Um, of course, it's in it's in the absence of a starter, um, but I think this kid could be he could be very special. And I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing him on Saturday. I think he's gonna be. I think he'll be special on Saturday. How do you think they'll handle him? As far as will he? Do you think they'll put him at Mike? Will they slide Beasley back where Peely was and allow Carter, who is incredibly athletic, to play a weak side? Essentially, how, do you have a feel? How would you do it if you were Coach White? You know, I tried both ways to be honest with you because I, Beasley's. Let me say this by the way. Aaron Beasley is a heck of a linebacker now. He's he's a good one himself. And I think he's a star in the making also. But I think this kid, because he's a freshman, um, the reason why I say star power is because of that freshman. He's a true freshman um, and can be around for a few years. Um, I think Beasley is better as an outside linebacker. And, and that was what I was looking forward to seeing him play most of this season because I think that's his best position. I think that's the position he'll play at the next level as well. Um, but I think with him having the knowledge – total knowledge of the game and our defense, I think it'll help for him to be in the middle position because he gets a chance to direct guys and tell them where to be. I think him and uh, and Carter have similar traits. They both can go out, the, go out to the quarterback on the blitz. They both are fast. They both can hit. And they play downhill. So I think they'll complement each other very well regardless of which other position that they put them in. Yep. And I, I tell you what, uh, go ahead and jump in here. Kayla LeBah had a little bit of trouble. Uh, jump in on our communicating software. Go ahead. No, that's fine. Um, so, Fred, uh, talking about Arian Carter and talking about that move to middle linebacker, that you, and you're right, Beasley's familiar with it because he did play a lot of middle linebacker last year. You were obviously on a team in which a very, very famous Tennessee player, I think we've all heard of him, moved to middle linebacker in 1998. <laughs> and uh, I know Dave – uh, Al Wilson, for those who might not have heard of him. <laughs> and <laughs> – and Dave obviously covered the 2017 when Gerard Mayo moved to middle linebacker, which was a really successful move. How difficult is that transition for a lot of guys to, and I know Beasley's already done it before, but could you talk about how much more complicated it is to play than weak side well, linebacker? Back in our time, I think Al Wilson was moved to middle linebacker one year too late. Um, we only got a chance to see him play that position at once, you know, one year. He should have been playing that position full time from his junior year on. Um, he defined that he redefined that position for us. Uh, Leonard Little was the middle linebacker, which I don't think that was a good idea. I wish he would have been playing defensive end the entire time there. And now Wilson showed that he could play a middle linebacker position. He changed it for different reasons. He was very tough, very fast, and it made that position a different position for us. Um, you couldn't run between the tackles. You couldn't run the ball outside. And you couldn't go across the middle short on us as well because he was so fast to be able to get downhill and also be able to cover um, when he needed to be. Um, I look at Beasley and say that because he's played both, he has the ability to be able to be a good middle linebacker as well. And the game has changed now anyway because you, you don't have any three yards in the cloud of dust much. You don't have a guy taking on a fullback as much in a football game as you used to back then. So being able to be serviceable in the passing game means more now than anything. You need your guys to be able to get downhill, but a lot of times they don't have a fullback in front of them that you got to hit. Um, so playing outside linebacker, middle linebacker now is almost kind of the same thing. Yep. All right, here we go. Second down, Coop. Cooper Mays here. Second down. 
Lance, I'm still in yours because it was better than what I had planned. I'm going to play off that. What do the Vols lose in pass coverage without P. Lee? In general, what do they lose with P. Lee? Because you saw him not only in the game on Saturday, but you've seen him in practice. So mm-hmm. what what did they lose by him being sidelined second down? I think just being a senior, senior leadership, and a guy who's already been in the battles before, um, and a guy who – great effort. I think those are the things you're going to lose more so than anything. Um Bringing in a freshman, he does not have that leadership just yet because he he's not a senior. He may have some leadership abilities, but he hasn't been in those battles in college football games, and that's what you're going to lose more than anything, that experience. Um, and I think that's that's hard to come by in any sport. Very true. Yeah. Go ahead, Caleb. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I, was, I was wondering the same thing. What have you seen from – you know, kind of sticking with that with pass coverage where we talk about Arian Carter and um, Aaron Beasley. And I, I want to throw in Elijah Herring in there too. Who would you say is the best right now in, in pass coverage of the current Tennessee linebackers now with PLEL? I'm going to say Beasley. I think Beasley's a better cover guy. That's why he was, he was so good on the outside because he has a, has an ability to cover the, long, the running backs out of the backfield, uh, sometimes a tight end, those type of things, and also be able to rest the passer um, on our blitzes and those type of things. So I think he is probably our most – he's our most complete linebacker with Poli gone. So I, I, with gone, I, I think that's – the guy you have to lean on most of your season with, with the injury situation. I don't know when Peely's coming back, but um, you're going to have to lean on the guy who's already been through those battles. And that and, and I think when it comes to talent and um, athletic ability, all those guys are capable, all of them. So we don't lose anything at, in, in that aspect. You just lose the experience part of it. Right, no let's... situations of the game. Let's get to third down. Coop, is that the correct down, sir? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. Arian Carter could be the best Tennessee linebacker since blank. I'm going to say Aaron Beasley because he's on that same team. I got to give Aaron his, his props where they're due and his flowers where they're due. But I think both of those guys, as far as a tandem, can go back to uh, Mayo and uh, uh, even – Barnett and, and, and Simon, those type of guys. And that's that's a long way back. We've had some guys that come out since then. But also, uh, Kurt Majit and A.J. Johnson, um, those guys were a good tandem as well. I think they can be just be that good. I think he can be as good as those guys as well. Um, but I, I don't want to give too much credit to a freshman who hasn't touched the football field yet. He has potential. Potential means you haven't done anything yet. And I'm looking at a linebacker on the squad right now that's done a lot for us, and that's Aaron Beasley. And I'm looking at him to have a, a major season this year, can possibly slide his way up into the second or third round, maybe even first round pick um, with a really good season this year. I uh, definitely don't want to shortchange Beasley. Uh, I think he was out of position playing Mike last year, and I think he could have a much better year. I don't think we've seen his potential um, because he's had to play like a lot of players in a position that he's probably not most comfortable, and that might be the case again this week so Mm -hmm. i mean it's a guy who is kind of like an mvp type of player for tennessee but might not ever have the numbers or the impact he would have had if he were playing his natural position would you agree with that statement i I definitely agree with that statement i think his natural position is outside linebacker i think he's very good in that role um he has a speed and the power and also moves better to get to the quarterback when blitzing and also to Bust up a run play. You seen it in the saw it against Clemson. You saw it all last season how he stepped up and did a lot of things for us. I look at him and say, man, this kid can play the game and he can play it with impact. So I I think that 
having him on your squad makes a lot of difference. And that leadership, we're going to see what type of leadership skills he has this year because he is playing with some guys now that haven't played the game a lot, um, not, at least not here at UT. Um, so I think he's going to be a part of that good culture. And the good thing that, that we have right now, the good problem we have is that we, we have some talent in that position that we can plug some guys in and play. We haven't had that in the last few years, though. And this is something that I, I think is a good problem to have, having more than one guy that you can put in the position and rotate those guys in and out if you need to. Yeah, let's let's talk about that for just a second. Fred, had I told you two years ago that Tennessee would lose their starting center to begin the season who handled the line calls and their middle linebacker to begin the season who handled a lot of the defensive calls and was a bona fide player, both bona fide players, Two years ago, this roster could not have supported that, and you'd be talking about a couple more losses on the season, I believe. Now we're having the conversation. There are guys to step in. We saw that with Ollie Lane, and now we're talking about Arian Carter and Elijah Herring. Absolutely. I, I truly believe if you were talking about this two years ago, we would be trying to figure out what's our solution and how many play, who's going to play that position for us. I'm happy that we have the situation now. We have enough talent that guys can come in and plug and then say next man up mentality. Um, but not just next man up mentality, next man up mentality that also has talent and also has um, ability to be able to go out and play the position at a high level. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing what these guys can do and what they bring to the table. Because what I saw, what I got a chance to see in a couple of practices. I want everyone else to be able to see as well. We do have that talent. We can run and fly all over the football field. And that speed is going to be a difference as well. So I'm looking forward to just seeing what these young guys can do. And when you talk about the, the offensive line, you talk about our center. Yes, we, if we had lost a center last year, oh, man, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what we would have done. But this year, it, we do, it, it does attest to the fact that we have some depth there. And if you look at Campbell this past week, that played left tackle for us. A transfer that came in, he did a really good job. And this one play that everyone's talking about, and I got to bring it up, where he drove that kid all the way out of bounds in the yeah. end zone there. That was amazing. That right there is what you do. That, people going to be watching that on, football, on film from now on all season. Yeah, that's the way to take it out on the media. It's not in a press conference. It's just to push uh, a defensive player into two poor camera people. I don't know if they were men or women. I couldn't tell. But two poor camera people that are just taking pictures, and suddenly there's 500 pounds of football player on top of them. You know, the good thing I like about it is that he did—he played all the way through the whistle. That's how you <laughs> want a football player to play all Amen. the way through the whistle. Amen. Nick Saban said that was his favorite play of all time because he took out two media members. <laughs> fourth down, Coop. Fourth down, Coop. Get us going. I'll let you see some of Cooper makes here. Fourth down. I'm going to ask both of you guys this, but I'm going to start with Fred. Best replacement player that you recall either played with or stepped in because of an injury, the best one you recall? The best that I recall because of injury? Or suspension or whatever. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna call out two guys and they played with me. I'm gonna go that direction first. Travis Stevens and Travis Henry. I mean, yep. they had to replace with Jamal Lewis. I mean, that's that's worthy of, of praise in itself because you, how do you replace with Jamal Lewis? And they did a really good job as a tandem doing so and helping us get to the national championship game and being very uh, productive for us throughout this season. Caleb, I'm gonna go first. Peyton Manning. 
Oh, that, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have, I have another one, though, for this day and age, by the way. Okay. And I think it's very monumental. And, and it wasn't because of injury, but it was a replacement situation. I'm talking about Hendon Hooker. Mm-hmm. Hendon Hooker replaced Joe Milton, and the rest is history. I think Tennessee's football program took off in that, in that aspect. And I think it was also good for Joe Milton as well. I think this is going to be the season that he shows that. I would have felt like a big idiot if I'd have left him out of my column that I'm about to write about replacement players. So thank you very much, Fred, because uh, it was about left out. Caleb, Fred, what about stands out? Yeah, it, Fred, it's still on your team. And what about in '99? Um, you know, because that when Billy Ratliff went down, that seemed like that that was when John Henderson really kind of emerged, wasn't it? '99 when Billy Ratliff got hurt. I don't know if he emerged in '99. I think he mostly. I think he emerged in in 2000. I'm and I'm gonna be completely honest with you. John didn't play a lot in '99 either. I thought he did play. He played some, yes, but he wasn't ju- he wasn't the John Henderson of tw- of two thousand. He was still getting beat on blocks and those type of things, and he'll tell you the same thing. There's a few oh, times okay. where we played against Nebraska, and I, I mean, I had to dodge him and Albert Hainsworth to try to make the tackle, and I was eight yards off the ball. So I'm just saying, <laughs> being, <laughs> being completely honest, they weren't they were puppies at that time. They weren't they weren't ready for that that level of football just yet. They got a chance to get their feet wet in those in that season in '99, but. Darren Walker stepped up and did a lot of things for us. And we played a lot of different guys at the position uh, when we lost Billy Rattler. We sure did. And having him, having losing him did hurt us a lot. I think it hurt us tremendously because Billy was virtually unblockable up until that point of the season when he got injured against Auburn. Look at Lance coming up with a good one. Omar Gaither stepping up for an injured Kevin Simon in 2004. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, that's, that's a, a real, that's a really good one. That's a team I covered. And I didn't, I didn't think of that one. Um, Austin P next up, Tennessee could go out there and D minus game and they're going to win this, this football game. But on the flip side, you've, you've got a guy in Joe Milton who you would love to be in the conversation of a Heisman trophy to have two quarterbacks, two years in a row. So Caleb brought this up in our three forty-five AM production meeting. And that was, should Tennessee run it up to boost Milton's numbers purely for Heisman talk later in the year? What do you think, Fred? I think if that's what you're doing, you're wasting your time. Um, and, and I think you're not being productive for your football team. I think you try to figure out ways to go out and get better and whether the, and the score just be what the score is. You should go out and try to figure out how to get your passing game clicking. You should go out and how to figure out how to make sure your running game is still on par. And also dominate a team that you should be able to dominate, whether it be offense and defense, and also work on your special teams things as well. If you're going out to try to figure out how to get somebody's stats for Heisman, he's probably going to lose it in the first place. Um, that didn't do very well for us back in the day. I don't think that we do very well for us now. Um, I just look at it from a standpoint of you go out and try to win the football game and get your team better against an inferior football team, and you know they're inferior, so you should make sure you put the points up on the board just by being productive um, and getting into a flow of things. If you're going out there just, just for stats, yeah, you're doing your team a disservice. All right, you brought it up, Caleb. Defend yourself. Okay, I, I, I'll defend myself on this because uh, I think there's a fair argument on my end, Fred. You know this is college football. 
And it's still a 14 playoff, not a 12 team playoff yet. So mm-hmm. there's still going to be a style points factor at the end of the year that people are going to take into account. I remember y'all's national championship year. There was a moment where there was a bit of a concern that y'all didn't have the margin of victory, which was for, which was so stupidly a factor in the BCS formula in 98. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just saying, isn't it true that still in college football, you need those style points at the end of the year. So maybe 70 points looks better than 60 points if you're trying to get if, into the playoffs. If you're TCU trying to get to the playoffs, possibly. But if mm. you're Tennessee in the SEC and you're undefeated, I'd much rather have an undefeated season than a Heisman quarterback. Plain and simple. Uh, the, the reason, because if, if I'm TCU or Colorado, yeah, them style points do matter. But if you win the SEC – Everybody knows who the SEC is. We won so many championships. I can't. I don't even know when to stop counting them. So we don't need style points. You just need to win games. You can win by half a point. You can win by .25 points. As long as you win the game, that's all that matters. That's a really good point. Now, you made a reference a second ago that that didn't work well. Did you feel like when Peyton Manning was a senior that, or even a junior – there were times that there was some stat padding going on maybe for individual awards. Is that what you're referring to? No, I think he more so was asked to do things that you probably shouldn't have been asked to do as a quarterback in college. Um, I think we put a lot of things in his, on his plate and on his, for him, for him to handle um, in games where there were times he, he wasn't coached as well as he probably should have been. And he had to just go out and figure it out himself sometimes. And we put too much on a guy that we knew was very talented and very smart. And I think that those are things that probably cost us, cost him a Heisman, in my opinion. We asked a guy to do something that's 20-something years old, man, to, to basically coach yourself on the football field sometimes. And he did a good job of it, don't get me wrong. But when, when you get, ran up against guys like Steve Spurrier and his defense – it was a little bit different because those guys, that's what they do. You know, I think game plan wise, we could have changed some things up, ran the ball a few more times. Um, the year we had Jamal Lewis in 97, I would have much rather saw Jamal Lewis running the football a few more times in that game. And then us passing it as many times as we did. Cause the team that won, won back in those days were the teams that ran the ball the most actually had the most rushing yards and not the most passing yards, but hindsight is 2020. I'm not going to put it on Peyton or, you know, or our staff. I just want to say that if we were trying to pass the stat, you know, stat pad or whatever, it wasn't a good idea. It didn't work. No. Uh, just agreed. win the game. And so and if you go back and you look at it, if you win that Florida game, I think there's no way in there's no way possible to Peyton doesn't win the Hollywood if we win if we win against Florida, in my opinion. Completely. And, and it doesn't matter how 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 you win it. He could have had 200 yards passing and and one touchdown or no touchdowns. Just the win itself, I think he would have won the game, won the Heisman, in my opinion. Uh, I agree. Caleb, jump in here. But I think that it wasn't not just using Jamal Lewis. It was not just running the football more. Yeah. No matter who was in the backfield, obviously Jamal Lewis was special and he should have played. I'm not arguing that. But mm-hmm. there should have been more adherence to running the football, Caleb. Absolutely. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think statistically, I remember the 2006 team like set a record for how often they relied on the passing game, and it was the record they broke was the 97 team. But the only difference was the 97 team actually could run the ball. The 2016 couldn't run the ball to save their life, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, it didn't make sense. Uh, Fred, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot here because we had this conversation yesterday. And now I want I want Fred to answer. Which coach? Because we brought up coaching. Which coach was worse, Butch Jones or Derek Dooley? 
think they were equally. I think they were equally horrible. But I think I'm gonna go Derek Dooley simply because he had a, no personality. I, Bush at least has some personality. Um, yeah. <laughs> Derek Dooley was a coach who said, you know, you should take emotions out of the game. There has no 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 place in the game. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> the game is uh, peaks and valleys, highs and lows. When you get up, stay up. If you're just playing the game, even kill, that just kind of taught me one thing about the guy. That's why you were a walk-on. And I'm sorry to say it that way, and I'm sorry for the guys who I played with They were, you know, not on scholarship. You guys don't look – you guys don't think like Derek Dooley. I promise you, you guys played with us. It was different. And not, and not a knock on any walk-on guys, just this guy, Derek Dooley, who said that, Emotions should be a part of the game. Tells me you weren't that good of a football player as well. You might as well put on you might as well put on a band uniform like like Bush Jones did. But at least Jones had some. <laughs> at least Bush Jones had some enthusiasm and <laughs> showed some emotion. <laughs> that band well, so- that band job probably helped him out with that. Yeah, controlling his emotions. Uh, I'm going to get a little sidetracked here for a second because the message board is going crazy about uh, the the Peyton Manning thing. And so, real quick, I want to get. I've never asked you this as as many times as we've talked, but I want to address a couple of things that Tennessee didn't do anything. This this on the message board, I believe Travis to promote Peyton. That that actually wasn't the case. I thought they overly promoted Peyton. Guys that I knew in the media back then, that was the year before I really got in it. Their mailboxes were full. I think the national media was tired of Peyton Manning. I think ESPN tried to drum up Ron Dane, uh, several other players to make the show, the Heisman show, get more viewers. And I think it got away from them. And I've talked to people at ESPN about that. They were like, oops, we kind of manufactured this Heisman winner with Charles Woodson. Champ Bailey was better, by the way. But um, did you guys care as as a team? Was it a big deal when Peyton Manning didn't win the Heisman in 97? And I've never asked you that. We all thought our teammates should have won Heisman. I mean, he he showed how good he was. I mean, he's a pro, he's a Hall of Famer in college and a Hall of Famer in, in, in the pros for a reason. We thought he should have won the Heisman. He did a good job of, of of doing what he needed to do. If you look at all the past Heisman guys, he did just as much, if not more, than those. Um, so I think we took it as a slight yes. But overall, man, we want to win the championship. The goal is not to, for somebody to win the Heisman. The goal is to win the championship. This is a team sport. Now, if you win an individual award because of that, I'm okay with that. However, my joke, my goal coming to the University of Tennessee had nothing to do with anybody winning the Heisman, myself included. I wanted to win championships. That was it. So if if anyone came with the thought process of I want to win the Heisman, hey, that's on you. That's your thing. I want to win championships. That's it. It's a team sport. Let's win a championship. No, I don't, I don't think that. Peyton in a million years would exchange that SEC championship that he won or uh, a Heisman Trophy. Without a doubt. Yeah. And I thought him winning, us winning the SEC championship should have put him in the – you go back and look at that game. That was a Heisman moment in itself. Amen. Well, here's the – We had a bad half, and then we come back and we win, and he throws a touchdown pass to win the game. 
that should have put him in. A, that should have won the Heisman in, in, in by itself, in my opinion. Well, here's the problem, Fred. I'm I'm a voter now. I wasn't then, but I do know that you could send your ballots in the beginning of November. Mm. So you've got four, maybe five weeks of football, and like 25 percent of the ballots came in the first week of November. Well, that's people that just don't care. I don't care who they voted for. I mean, I spent a couple of hours on the Sunday after the last game. I mean, it means a big deal to me. My greatest fear is that, like my one vote could somehow affect a guy not winning or winning. And so I put a lot of thought into it. I voted for Bryce Young last year. And um, it, it just a lot of people that are in it don't care. And they need to call those people out. I don't know how you do that. But if you're sending – if you're sending your vote in the first week of November, you're basically saying, I don't care about my vote and I don't mm. care about the award, which I think is shameful. There's actually more to the story, though, with not. Oh, sorry, Fred. I'm sorry. Let, let me just get this out, too. Let, let me tell you about this. Charles Wilson was not a bad football player. Now, don't get me wrong. Amen. He's a college football Hall of Famer and a pro football Hall of Famer also. And he, he had a stellar career. And I understand that the stats were better. For um for Champ Bailey, but some of Champ Bailey's stats weren't the same type of impact when it came to the game. That's true. Um, you look at the punt return against Michigan. That's a, that's a Heisman moment. And 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 you're a cornerback. The interception against uh, Penn State to seal the game, one handed on the sideline. That's a Heisman moment. Touchdown pass against me. Those are those are things that like. You look at it and say, man, he, he did his job when the, when the lights were on and when the game was on the line, he made plays that helped them win the game. Him solely made those. And, and of course, on punt returns, you got guys blocking, but he did the returning of that. I can't sit here and say he didn't do a really good job. Do I think he deserved it over Peyton? I don't. However, he had a heck of a season for I a agree. defensive back. I, 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 t- I completely agree. Uh, I do think the media was tired of – of Peyton Manning because they had heard about him for four years. I think yeah. that was a big, big part of well, the Well, the issue. deeper story here, and the one that I wanted to bring up was, guys, we're also forgetting that this was the 90s, and Fred, as you know, during this time, the SEC was the only conference that had a conference championship at that time, mm-hmm. a conference championship game, and the Big Ten didn't. And I know a lot of writers, a lot of people, particularly traditionalists in college football, were very much opposed to a conference championship. So on principle, they wouldn't take the conference championship game into account mm-hmm. when they're doing their Heisman ballot. So for many of them, the last those game they the took people into account, that those are the people that should lose their vote. Yeah, yeah. So the last game they took into account, they saw Charles Woodson ball out against Ohio State, like you said, which is one of the best games a cornerback has ever played in college football, or you know, a not. I mean, that was just amazing. And they saw Peyton Manning against Vanderbilt, and let's just be honest, Peyton Manning didn't have that good of a game against Vanderbilt in '97. Played pretty poorly, and I think that stuck in their mind was that was that last game, that last regular season game for both of them. Well, we're we're way way sidetracked, but ESPN wanted more people to watch the Heisman Trophy ceremony, so they drummed up. They went through like four Big Ten guys, and Woodson was the last one. And again, I'm not knocking Woodson at all, Fred, mm-hmm. but they did want more people to watch because of viewership, and it was a boring race. Peyton was going to win it, and I think it kind of got out of control a little bit, like like the movie Gremlins. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just keep the cute little thing and you don't let it uh, eat after midnight or whatever the rule was you you got a cute little animal but it gets out of control and suddenly the whole damn town's burning down 
and and I think the biggest slap in the face though is that he lost it to a defensive guy. There's only been two defensive guys that win it. It may never be another defensive guy ever win it. Um, although the guy from Notre Dame, the one who had the fake girlfriend, he almost got close. Um, <laughs> oh man, <geez. laughs> but I. <laughs> That, that's the biggest slap in the face to me. You haven't given it to a defensive guy, but once before that, and it had been years since the guy had it. And some guys that had some really good defensive years and didn't win the Heisman Trophy, you know, and and you lose to that guy. You lose to a defensive guy, and you're Peyton Manning. I like to think that fueled him a lot, too, when he got to the next level. I, I'm pretty sure it did. But I, I always look at that and say, man, how did you – how does he not win – the Heisman that year when he was like the clear guy to win it. And I just didn't understand it. I, I don't, I still don't understand it, but I, I don't knock Charles Wilson because he did go to the NFL and have a great year. He had a great season that season, but I I really feel like he got hosed. Did you guys ever have somebody in high school have a made up girlfriend from Canada or California or something? <laughs> I, I honest to goodness did. I honest to goodness did. And his name was Chris. And I, I remember he lied all the time. And he was like, yeah, my girlfriend might be coming in this summer from Canada. Now, this is before social media or dating apps. How in the world did you meet somebody from Canada? And he had some BS excuse. And I was like, you're just flat out lying. Did you guys have anybody like that? I remember people thinking you had you know, you know, had a fake girlfriend somewhere. I, some guys did have fake girlfriends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have I've, I've met some. I know some guys who have fake girlfriends. Sure did. Boy, did you meet Manti Teo? I, no, I did not. Ola <laughs> Nay. <laughs> I don't think he did either. <laughs> no, he did. no, but it's, it does sound like Fred met Sean Alexander's girlfriend. <laughs> well, the good news the good news about Manti Teo's girlfriend is that she didn't die because she never existed. Because the word was she passed away, but she didn't exist. So that, that was the good news that came out. It was a silver lining. She just magically disappeared. <laughs> she was magically never there. Guys, am I the am I the delusional one that thinks Manti Teo was just so super sheltered that he actually did fall for the hoax? Yeah, well, but that's fine. He's either he either is contrived or dumb. I think I'd rather be contrived. <laughs> you know, if he was in my era where we've just got the internet and just you know all we had was email, <laughs> I'd give him a little bit more. You know leeway on this situation but listen man he was in the era of having facebook and myspace and all these you mean to tell me you didn't see not one real picture you never met this person at all ever (laughs) hey man you're a football player one of the most celebrated football players at the university of notre dame you mean to tell me you couldn't find a girlfriend on that campus yeah yeah um <laughs> tnsidercompany.com a tnsidercompany.com how good is that cider fred it is absolutely amazing yes it is yes and you, you know go they ahead. have a new sangria coming out too man you got to try that oh yeah it is awesome good hey is there a chance they make like a hooker cider i've had a <laughs> i've had a hooker sushi roll and a margarita named after me uh what about a hooker cider i'm gonna tread very lightly on that one dave Right. Very likely. <laughs> Fred, you, you, you know what we call our I, I give the three best gambling picks of the week now. You know what we call them, right? What's that? We call them the hooker special. Yeah. You usually have to pay extra for that. 
<laughs> um, and the hooker cider, you have to pay up front. Go to tnsidercompany.com, tnsidercompany.com. Use the promo code HAT, and you will get uh, some swag with any purchase. You can order that cider most anywhere in the United States of America. Football I Friday. date line special. That's right. <laughs> Football Friday with Fred. Have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the game. I appreciate you, buddy. Thanks again. The book is available, and it wouldn't be available if not for Fred White. I believe you can click right down below, right, Caleb? Can we click below? Um, or you can go yes. to – Okay. Or you can go to uh, offthehooksports.com and it's right up front. I got a copy for you, Fred, sitting there with your name on it. I'll even autograph it if you want me to. Absolutely, Dave. Absolutely. (laughs) I feel so weird autographing stuff. I feel like it's immediately devalued. But some people like it autographed, so I'm doing that. You you know, Dave, I I want everybody on this show to know one thing about you and Caleb. Hey, listen. All the hooker special stuff, just know Fred was not a part of it. So when Dateline comes or the Rico happens, just know I wasn't there, okay? Yeah, you'll be the guy turning this in. With oh, yeah, they, they, they do love those Rico charges in Georgia. That is true. <laughs> Still the best, though, is are those Chris Hansen things. Uh, to Let's take a seat right over there. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, why, why don't you take a seat right over there? Um, My yeah, favorite is I they were always like, yeah, oh, I just yeah. want to. Yeah, why do, do, do you have the Why do you have the Zima? Why do you have the Zima? Who who are you here to see? <laughs> Fred, take care, man. You're the best. Go right. balls. There you go. Nick Saban apologizes to a media member. What, what, what? Right after this, 90 seconds. Caleb Calhoun, me, Dave Hooker, off the hook sports. Kenneth, I was, I was really heavy into the drug culture. Um, I was selling drugs. I was just constantly in pain. I was missing like a good support system in my life. KS has given me everything that I need in order to successfully have a wonderful recovery, in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible. And it's not just about me anymore. And I love that. I absolutely love it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Uh, who's this guy? Hello, Wizard. The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. All right, welcome back to the program. <clears throat> Excuse me, Nick Saban into apologies. What is that all about? Um, it's a very odd situation to have him apologize. By the way. Can we give Josh Heupel a little bit of credit and how he handles the media? I know he gives absolutely nothing in press conferences, but he he treats the media well, and his goal is to say nothing in press conferences. That's a fact. We all know that. But, um, yeah, I think he's very fair. And 
And I heard Jimmy Himes over the weekend who uh, has a column up, I believe it off the hooksports.com or will very shortly his prediction of what's going to occur against Austin P. And Jimmy said something, uh, I think he was on football finals with Fouad Reves. And he said, I know what's wrong with Cooper Mays, as do I. And uh, I'm going to respect um, the fact that I shouldn't re- release the injury. And I am too. And Caleb, I don't know that that happens if you got a Butch Jones that is uh, pulling the media in the back. I'm not speaking for Jimmy, okay? But if you've got a, a Butch Jones who pulls the media in the back room and dog cusses them because a national columnist for their same company wrote something that they didn't like, and you had two reporters, I'm not going to name names, during the time that I respect and were great individuals that got out of media altogether because of Butch Jones. And um, I, I, you don't look out for a coach, but you're more apt to work with a coach if he is a good dude. And I think Josh Heupel's honestly a good dude. Yeah, if they're a good dude and if they're fair to you in certain ways and if you don't think they're lying to you all the time. Like by the by 20, you know, by 2017, I was ready to just unleash on Butch Jones constantly because he had just gotten caught in so many lies to the point to where when Jawan Jennings did his Instagram rant at the end of the year and got dismissed from the pe- from the team, I was the first to come out and say, let him back on the team because this coaching staff is liars and every player that criticizes the coaching staff should be allowed to because this it was they were such a disgrace by that point that I was not going to be inclined to side with them on anything. I'll be honest with you guys on that. And it and I I wasn't behind the scenes in the rooms in 2013 2014. I know some people who were. There's one guy who tweeted out, um, not going to name him. You guys can follow him, but he basically kind of blew the lid off a few days ago where he was running a blog, trying to get involved with press credentials. And Butch Jones basically said, "I won't give you anything unless you agree to cover all positive news for Tennessee, nothing else." And I didn't I didn't know that. I I don't know this guy, but I I don't. You know, I'm, I'm talking about guys that were well-established. I'm not talking about guys yeah. that were trying to sort of fit in. I'm talking about guys who got uh, cursed and had proven over, in both situations, more than a decade that they were adept at covering football in a very fair and journalistic way. Those those are the dudes that just drive me crazy. But, again, I, all of these conversations we're having, and I know, Travis, you said I wish – uh, uh, Dave and Caleb wore a little bit more orange glasses yesterday, but here I am. I believe I'm an objective journalist. I'm telling you that everything is incredible with Tennessee's football program. I actually woke up thinking that today. I was like, you're talking about replacing a Keenan Peely and a Cooper Mays and being okay. You're, you're, you're talking about a coach who's, uh, honest and, you know, I know he hot stuff from the media, but who can blame him? I, I don't know. I just, um, I'm absolutely, um, I'm absolutely stunned by the position that Tennessee is in, and I, um, I made the declaration yesterday. I think Josh Heupel wins a national title before he leaves Tennessee, which might be his retirement because it seems like an awfully good fit. But let's turn it to Nick Saban, and Nick Saban apologized to a reporter. I want to pull this up. Give us some context first, Caleb. So what we're showing first is right after Saturday's game at MTSU, he was asked a question about if Jalen Milrose five touchdowns can be used for confidence going forward. And he responded in his typical smart alecky way that I, me turning into like pretending to be an Italian saying, if that was me, if I was in the room, I'd cuss him back out. (laughs) Here we go. Let's pull this up. All right, here we go. Here's what he said. 
think tonight's you know positive performance will help them moving forward to next week and beyond. And who is that? So you're asking me to speculate, and I ask a, answer a hypothetical question about how some guy's going to perform in the future. I don't really know. I mean, I love him. I think he's doing well. Uh, I know he's working hard to try to improve. He's a good competitor. He'll do everything he can to play his best. But I don't. I don't have. This is a coke bottle. It's not a crystal ball. So that was that part right okay, there. So let's let's be fair. That was not the question. It was how much did it help Jalen Milrow's confidence? Well, it should help it a lot because last time he looked like a bumbling quarterback and he looked like a superstar quarterback over the weekend. We played last week. He had what four turnovers or last year he had four turnovers. Last week he had five touchdowns. Was it three or four turnovers? Last did he year? have four turnovers? Oh, you no, talking no, about last year. Last year. Oh, against Texas A&M? I think he had four turnovers, yeah. Yeah, he had a, so, I mean, that's a very good question. It's, it's a good question for uh, Joe Milton when he played Virginia. And so, I, I mean, that's – It's a that's perfectly very, legitimate question. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so here is the retort when Saban apologized. Yes, yeah, Saban comes back, uh, I believe this was yesterday, and, and addresses the question and the reporter who asked the question. So, um, and Austin, uh, look, you know, you didn't ask a bad question the other night. I just didn't answer it very well. And, um, you know, when a guy plays well in a game at any position, it should help his confidence and it should help him perform better in the future. But I do think that every player, you know, has to understand that just because I played well, I still want to try to improve the few things that I could have done better. And I think if a, a, a person keeps that mindset, then they're always improving, right? Because you're never satisfied uh, and you're always trying to do better. Uh, and you don't let complacency creep, creep into your game. And that certainly hasn't happened with Jalen. So, um, you know, hopefully the confidence that he gained in this game will certainly help him to continue to play, you know, better and better in the future. That's what we hope for as coaches. That's why, what we try to encourage him to do. So, uh, and that should have been my answer the other night. So we're partly in the speculation game, but to overreact to a simple question about Jalen Milrow, which you could go into a very positive answer very quickly, and then to come back and respond to it, does that tell you that maybe despite Jalen Milrow's great performance in game one, that maybe he's a little bit insecure about Milrow moving forward? Yes. And I'm going to say this to Twitter right now. And Dave, let's get, I, I want to see if you agree with me. I first want to address something that everybody thinks. This is not a change in, Nick Saban didn't have some change of heart and decide he needs to be nice to the media now. You and I agree on that, right? Everything he does is calculating. Yes. Yes. So if it's not that, then something changed. Well, in pre no, let me, let me go back. Can I go back for a second? Okay. I think, I think after the game, any question about Jalen Milrow's confidence, which that was, he had a, uh, a, a premonition to say that um, everything's great. I don't want to answer a question like that because he doesn't have a confidence issue. Why are you questioning my quarterback? So I don't think that was contrived or orchestrated. I think that was a real response. Is that what you were getting at? Because I think he, 
I think he's sick of answering that question. I think Josh Heupel was sick of answering that question. I think Josh uh, Joe Milton was sick of answering, uh, "Oh, what do you got other than your arm strength?" Um, so no, I think that was a I think that was a real response. That, yeah, but no, okay, that may be a real response at that one, but I don't but think he did, ever what won. he did what he did after. I think we're on the same page at right. Yeah, so Wednesday, what he did that's 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 not a change of heart. Because Nick Saban has never done that before. The only time he ever apologized before was when he last shot at Maria Taylor on ESPN. But that's because, again, you can go at a local reporter making $55,000 a year or $30,000 to $40,000, whatever they're making. It's easier to get away with that than it is to go at an ESPN reporter when the whole like institution of ESPN is going to come down on you at that point and defend their, their person. That's the only time I ever saw him apologize. So for him to apologize, I think this was an AL.com reporter. That... He's not doing that because he had a change of heart. He's doing that because there's something meticulous about why he's doing it. And I think what you think, I think he's still nervous about Jalen Milrose confidence. And he, and I think maybe he's worried that the way he lashed out Saturday after the game doesn't help Jalen Milrose confidence. And he's seen it in practice this week. Hmm. You may well be right. I do not know. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And that he really realized he answered the question in a rude, distasteful way. And it was unfair. And somebody brought that to his attention. So I'm going to say that that was genuine. Although I completely understand. Nine times out of ten, I'm completely with you. And I could be dead wrong here, okay? But I'm going to say that one time that it was genuine. That he, he came down a little hard on somebody. May have been a younger guy. May have been new to the program. I haven't heard his name. And I can tell you with the whole Inky Johnson situation that I went through, the last thing you want is for your name to be a part of the story. That is awful. I don't want that. And maybe he felt, maybe he felt bad. Maybe somebody reached out to him. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. You and I differ slightly, but I could certainly see something in the coming days or weeks and say, Caleb, you were absolutely right back then. Um, So, but nevertheless, look, I will, I, I never liked the bullying. Sometimes when he lashes out, I, I've actually defended him in the past because sometimes I think the questions are kind of stupid. I'll be honest. Like one, one person one time asked him like, oh, Nick, you only signed three guys on National Signing Day. Uh, was that part of the plan? And Nick's like, don't you do math? We signed like 30 guys in the early signing period. Of course, we couldn't sign that many people on National. That was a dumb question and it, you, you call about. But not, not to call out people in my industry, but like I understand when Nick Saban gets mad sometimes. But there are times where he lashes out at reporters unfairly. And I've never seen him come back and apologize for doing that. Okay. You you, you may be right. Uh, you may well be right. I, I'm I'm going to say that sounded genuine. But I, I'm, I'm the guy that gives people the benefit of the doubt probably more than I should. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens this weekend against Texas. And then we may have a little bit more insight into that. We don't talk a lot of women's basketball this time of the year. But LSU, Inks a big deal to keep uh, women's basketball very good to very great. Um, is this something that Tennessee should look at? I mean, this has always been a non-revenue sport. People used to say they made a million dollars. Well, they used to get a million dollar check cut to them from the football department that would essentially make them look like they were break even. Um, so you got to go into this realizing you're never going to make money, even at Tennessee or UConn in women's athletics, but it is something that can be used to gain exposure for your program. Should Tennessee play this game and, and give out a big contract to whoever, I don't care who the coach is, 
Or should they just say this is a losing money proposition? Let's dump more into football and men's basketball because that's where the revenue comes from. A lot. It's a loaded question, Caleb, because there's a lot of heritage and there's a lot of legacy and there's a lot of great things about the Lady Vols. However, that being said, it's never going to make money for you. See, I break with you on that. I think it will make money for you. And here, women's basketball, not any other sport. And here's why I say that. Here's something you're missing, Dave. And, and no one wants to acknowledge this. Tennessee women's basketball hasn't been that good ever since women's basketball started to become more profitable on a national level. UConn was generating revenue in women's basketball in the 2010s. The problem is since the 2010s blew up, Tennessee hasn't even sniffed the final four. And there's reasons for that. But I do think if Tennessee got back to final fours and national championships, I do think you would see them generate revenue again. I do. And I think that, look, the I talked about yesterday, the Lady of All fan base is really an older fan base. It's probably the oldest women's basketball fan base because it's the people who fought for Title IX in the 1970s. That's their fan base. But when they were winning in the late 90s, Dave, you know this, they created a whole generation of like, it went from the older fans to women's basketball with the Lady Vols was cool. And it still wasn't re- generating revenue yet. But now I think it's, I think it would if you got to that level. So yeah, no, I think they should shell out money to get the right coach. I mean, Kim Mulkey got, for those who don't know, got 10 years, $3.2 million per year, 10 year, $32 million contract. I think they should shell out money. I don't know if that should be Kelly Harper. But, I mean, I will say if Kelly Harper is not working out, I don't think – I think Tennessee should be willing to open up the checkbook to get a high-profile coach to come in. And I think they should be looking very – again, it's it's Tennessee. Then they should also take a point in pride. One of Tennessee's selling points – I told you guys this earlier in the week. In As the school gets set to honor Conjure Holloway tomorrow for the first starting black quarterback in the SEC – T. Martin making history this week as part of the first black, all-black quarterback room. T. Martin, first black quarterback to win the national title in college. 1970s Tennessee, the first school to embrace Title IX. That made Tennessee a national brand in, a lot, in as many ways as, every, as everything else. I think that actually helped them recruit even in football. I think you want football players, if you're a top-notch football recruit, Maybe you want to be part of a school that's forward thinking and progressive and cool across the board like that. I'm going to put my business hat on here for a second. Um, I, as long as it's a break even, I'm, I'm golden. I don't even care if they make money. And because I say that and Rocky Top Tom says we're missing a huge part of UT by not being great at women's basketball. That's the traditional side of it, Rocky Top Tom, and I'm with you. But I'm going to add this. You get an incredible, huge commercial every March when they're in the final four and they're relevant that you cannot pay for. You cannot go out there and pay for a two and a half commercial on national television talking about your school. Terry Fair, one of the greatest defensive backs to Tennessee has ever had, didn't know who Tennessee was until he heard about the Lady Vols when they were in the final four. That opened the door. So if you're a break-even and you're getting that kind of promotion, maybe a la a hooker shirt, then I am completely fine with that. If you have to make the decision between paying 
the women's basketball coach a little bit more money or losing a guy like Rodney Garner. If it comes down to those dollars and you have to put a hundred thousand here or a hundred thousand dollars here to keep a good assistant coach, no spend it on football, but Tennessee's not in that position financially. They're in a very good position. So I say, go out and compete. I think LSU may have spent a little bit too much money, Caleb, which is um, I, I would think troublesome, but yes, the Lady Vols can have a huge, huge presence on national television every single March by being relevant and being in the Final Four. So I'm up for spending that money, but not if it takes one little inkling away from football or men's basketball. How much do you think it helps, for instance, not only – you're right, March is a giant commercial. You know what else is a giant commercial for Tennessee? Candace Parker doing Inside the NBA every year. Candace Parker doing the March Madness analysis every year. It's a huge commercial for Tennessee. She's like the coolest person in women's basketball, so she's all over the media all the time. And that look, that's a big deal. I mean, it, I think I, I'm sure you do too. I think she make a whole squad as the greatest player in Tennessee women's basketball history. But Candace Parker's had the most successful post playing career of anybody in Tennessee women's basketball history. And I, I agree. You don't. And you're right. Tennessee's luckily not in the position where they have to make these decisions. Football is the engine that drives the train. And it's, it, you know, but that doesn't mean that women's basketball isn't, I don't know, another important part of the train. I don't know what, you know, maybe it's, uh, it's some of the wheels, put it that way. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's something that Tennessee can benefit on in recruiting in other sports. It is a big, huge monster commercial and it is, it is better. The baseball team's not a revenue sport. So I would say the same thing about the baseball team. I would say that, yes, they should be good and you should pay um, whatever you have to do to keep Tennessee baseball in the forefront because nothing is happening in June, we know, other than uh, college baseball. And if you're in the College World Series, that, again, speaks to the success of your athletic department. So be a break even, maybe lose a little money, but if it comes down to spending money one way or the other, you got to spend it on football. But I don't think Tennessee is going to be in that position anytime soon. I think they're financially in very good shape. So spend money on Kelly Harper or whoever you think it is. Spend money on Tony Vitello, but it never needs to uh, never needs to hurt the football program. Have a fantastic day, evening, morning, whenever you're watching. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.